Hello and welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. I'm a producer at Studio Cut to Bits in Montreal. And today our guest is Benjamin Rivers. Please introduce yourself. Hey, I'm so I'm Benjamin Rivers and I'm a game developer here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, and I run a game studio with my wife called Bansy Co. We make games such as Home, Alone With You and Worse Than Death. And when I'm not making games, I like to make comics. Yeah, so let's talk about comics. How'd you get into making comics? Oh boy, like most kids, I drew from an early age. Um, and then I just found out that I was better than some of the other kids around me. So I just kept doing it. And uh, <laughs> I've, uh, I have older siblings, but I grew up especially with my one particular uh, older brother. He's about seven years older than me. So I was born in the late seventies. Uh, and so he had long boxes of like Western comics and whatnot, okay. you know, like X factor, X-Men, things like that. So whenever he would deign to allow me to enter the comic box, then I would get to pick issues out and, and, and read. Uh, and that kind of just made me want to get into comics all the time. So I drew, I think the first comic I have on record as drawing was like, it's it's a Ghostbusters fan comic. It's about like Slimer having a really bad day. It's like very emotional and weepy. It's pretty funny for like a five-year-old or seven-year-old or whatever it was. And uh, and then I would draw like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan comics and things like that because it was the 80s. So that was a big, a big thing. TMT was huge. Yeah. So uh, between me sort of, reading my brother's comics and then being introduced to other stuff on my own, reading things like Archie, whatever was available, whatever I could get my hands on as a, as a youngin. And then my brother introduced me to sort of more like hardcore stuff and just weird out there indie books that were starting to come out in the eighties. It just sort of stuck. And I've never, never not been into comics. Okay. So let's, let's talk about some of the weirder stuff in the eighties. Like what, what does that include? Some of the stuff I don't remember because we had this great, uh, I grew up like when I was a kid, I grew up in Northern Manitoba, uh, Canada in a very small, uh, sort of place. And there was this great comic shop called the book nook and they had their dusty old comics rack and they got a surprising amount of weird stuff. Some of it, I would only be able to tell you what it was if I saw it again, because okay. it's been so long. But I remember the biggest thing that was weird for me was, Again, I was a Ninja Turtles fan as a kid because of the cartoon and everything else. Uh, but my brother once said to me, oh, I'm going to make you read a real Ninja Turtles comic. And yeah, he, they were, they're, they're not what you think. Yeah. Right. So he, I, I forget what, I think it's like issue eight or something like that. But I uh, remember getting one of the early issues with, you know, it's all black and white with a color uh, cover. Absolutely could not understand what was going on because it's, it's super violent and it's really messed up uh, and very esoteric. And it's got like, dimensional travel and all this other stuff going on. And I remember being like, I don't get it. Like, this is weird. You know, <laughs> this I does thought it look like my Ninja, Ninja Turtle cartoon. Right. And then from then on, I just sort of started to enjoy weird stuff. And then I would basically like, we didn't have access to a ton of uh, like non-mainstream comics. Um, but I would go in with, to the shop with him and sort of poke around at the shelves and find the stuff that like was probably not appropriate for a kid my age to be looking at, which was a lot of what was the indie stuff in the 80s, especially. That makes a lot of sense. So did you continue to read more mainstream stuff or just did you continue to read kind of more obscure stuff? I was reading mostly mainstream stuff because it was what I could find. Yeah. Uh, my my main source of comic book was like getting a, a an issue of Archie every week from the grocery store, which was like not obviously 
terribly far out there. Um, but it made me fall in love with sort of a slice of life and drama stories. It turns yeah. out that's like what I like to do now. And I think a lot of it came from that. But then um, what happened was I would visit my, we would visit my other brother who's even older. And he had also been a hardcore comic collector for a long time. And he had started to have a bunch of comics, including, or sorry, he showed me some of the newer comics that he had in, uh, at this point in the late eighties which included like Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man and things that were happening, which was sort of a huge, yeah. huge push and huge, big boom uh, in the Marvel space. And that's what got that me leads into... up to the big like 90s uh, comic that's boom. Right. That's right. So it was like Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man and Venom and the sort of precursor to that storyline and sort of the fallout of that, that got me into... Secret, Secret Wars and... Yeah, Secret Wars was like 87, 88, I think okay. it was. And then, uh, and then like the Venom stuff was... Uh, like 89 or 80, late 88, 89. And so that was the stuff that got me hooked because I found this really scary. It was really weird. And, you know, I had essentially been coming off of things like, you know, watching Transformers movie, which was dark and had swearing and death. <laughs> and then like getting excited for <laughs> this Orson Batman Wells. movie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which is also like dark and scary as a kid. So all these sort of things that I love started to get like darker and more quote unquote mature. And then that's mm-hmm. what what I love. So like the spooky, like venom character and anything that was sort of like dark and edgy, which of course was just then what the nineties became was totally my jam. Okay. So I essentially read like Spider-Man was sort of my thing. Uh, and I was reading other stuff on the side. Um, but I was reading Spider-Man, uh, pretty much monthly for several years. And then until the nineties, the clone saga happened at which point I dropped out. It got pretty weird there for a minute. Yeah, I dropped out of mainstream superhero comics for I think ten years or something like that. Like I was kind of like I'm out. That was it. And I, I found. I don't I found blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. So I I grew up in Japan, so I grew up reading Japanese comic books. You, yeah, you had much better selection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I moved to North America in '96. So when I got there, and I was like, oh. so I would say like, yeah, I, I like to read comic books, and they they were like, oh, like superhero comic books, and I'm like, right, no. And no, every, would, everything, like, look literally at it, everything was, else. And it was like so bad. Like the 90s was such a bad time. For, was I a, mean, not that I'm saying all of it was bad. There, there was some pretty interesting stuff that came out of the 90s in the mainstream as well. But majority was just like so much tra- just trash. You know, like absolutely. And the, a, you know, the foil covers and the like the, you know, people buying like six issues of the same comic book. And I'm like, I don't understand this at all. Like, because in yeah. Japan, like comic book is essentially a commodity. Like there's right. no value. Right. Right. So like why anybody would buy collectible comic book in Japan are things that are like either extremely old or like extremely obscure, <laughs> you know, like anything yeah. that you'd be able to buy at a store is not worth anything. Right. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause that still continues to this day in that, you know, the Western Western comics, even sort of indie comics, um, or smaller publisher comics still rely on that collector market in some degree, you know, like you goose sales by creating variant covers for issues. And yeah, it's, it's still a thing that happens, but, but you know, manga is essentially just it's book publishing. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds insane. When you think about publishing, you like know, nobody would novel. buy two covers, two copies of a novel, a soft right. cover. I, on top hey, look, of it, I, you know? I still have a sealed, never been opened, Number one copy of Spider-Man 2099, number one, because I bought two because it was the 90s. <laughs> and I was like, this is the one 
I'm going to retire on, and this is the one I'm going to read. And I still have that. I've never opened it just because I think it's funny, and it's sort of like this. Sort that of is pretty funny. Heirloom, but I think I checked the value, and I don't know. Maybe it's twenty five bucks, thirty bucks. It's probably yeah. not worth that much. I I don't I don't have a lot of floppies either. Um, I did. I, well, I I guess I still do. I had a copy of uh, issue one of Transmat. Oh yeah, okay. because I really wanted to get uh, one else to sign it, but uh, now not so much with uh, yeah, uh, what's come out. <laughs> right. Yeah, the the value there is different. Yeah. Now I'm like, ah, I'm not sure. I, I actually want this in the house. Um, but yeah, that's so. The funny thing is, like, so our studio uh, listeners, you can't see, but we can actually see each other. Um, <laughs> Uh, so this is a video game studio, but that half of the uh, the studio is actually a, a co-working space for comic book artists. Oh, that's awesome! So we have um, we have three comic book artists that are working out of here, and they uh, they all had Kickstarters this this uh, this year. Cool. And um, the one is actually just finishing his Kickstarter uh, tomorrow, I think. Carrie uh, Nord, I think he managed to. I think he's going to hit like a hundred thousand Canadian. Nice on his floppy, wow. so like yeah. it's it's a it's a pretty interesting market out there. Yeah, Kickstarter for comics is a is a big deal. It's something I'll definitely be looking at. Uh, I think um, going forward for some stuff that I'm working on because uh, I've I I back books. There's things that I find that are super interesting, um, and it has become the replacement for the uh, s- sort of small press section or like Tower Records weirdo side shelves that you would sort of find some of the stuff at before actually even like kind of the you know essentially it seems like western comics have gotten to the point where like they don't really know how to sell it anymore like (laughs) image image seems to be like kind of everybody's kind of (laughs) i don't know the big three kind of don't. I mean, I guess it's not big three, big four. I don't know who's like. Well, basically, I guess there's DC and Marvel, and then there's DC, Marvel, else. then Image, and then like and then you go way Dark down Horse? and get to stuff like Dark Horse yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Dark Horse used to be bigger, but I guess they're much smaller nowadays. Yeah, it's Dark Horse, IDW, and and whatnot, sort of bringing up no. the smaller segment of that too. But all of it, like the you know, because like the whole like comic book shop kind of, especially with COVID, I heard is just kind of completely fell apart and. It's super fascinating because I'm a big, um, like I said, I'm a big manga head as well. And uh, what's fascinating is the, like the manga market is not as big now in terms of like just raw value as it was say in like the late eighties, mid nineties or whatnot, just because of different readership habits and, and, and whatnot. Um, however. Yeah. But Japan, the, those, those during that but, time, like, because I grew no, up on that, like I yeah. grew up reading Shonen Jump at the heyday of Shonen Jump and right. it's crazy. Like when something you, yeah, like when you're, when you're selling like 3 million copies of a, of a weekly periodical, like without even trying. Yeah. And, I think, and that's not even, I think they're like the highest selling issues were like, I think they did like 6 million at one yeah. point. And we're talking about a population of like 130 million people. So like, Two percent of the population is buying a mm-hmm. single magazine, which is insane. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's um, so we uh, that's been a big a big thing with me in that when I discovered manga in the '90s, when companies like Dark Horse and other places were sort of starting to publish them. Yeah. Um, that so like Lone Wolf and Cub and the 
that was some of the early stuff. And then uh, there were some companies whose names I totally forget were doing like miniature Shonen Jump style collections. So you would see Parasites and you would see okay. a bunch of uh, other, other series. They would be republishing with flipped artwork and whatnot, publishing them as like double or triple size floppy issues per month. And I would buy those like when I was in college, especially uh, – um, so just Dark, sort of Dark Horse did a lot of that, no? They, Dark Horse was one of the one of the biggest um, sort of uh, companies that brought over manga because, like you know, original Ghost in the Shell and uh, uh, not Akira that was, was always Viz, I think, but uh, so much of those. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I think series uh, got brought over. Was it Blade of the Mortal? Was Dark Horse? I want to say. I believe so. Yeah. So in recent years, I've rediscovered a bunch of manga series that I couldn't. Like I didn't know about before, uh, but also would find the original floppy collections and then eventually uh, sort of late 80s trades, which were a rare mm-hmm. thing. Like trades didn't really start in earnest till like the 90s in the North American market or like late mm-hmm. 80s a little bit, but mostly in the 90s. Um, but My the Psychic Girl uh, is one of my favorites. And that was like an 86 to 88 book originally in Japan. It got published in, later in the 80s um, in North America. And that was brought over. Uh, as a flip book. Um, but they also actually made like sort of Tonkaban style um, releases here, which is rare for the time. Mm. Uh, but if you dig back, you will find smaller companies that often were pushing those because there are people who, you know, were into the scene and wanted to bring this stuff and they were smaller publishers, but the big, yeah. you know, the big publishers weren't, were getting into it at the time. Yeah. And there was no, there was no real like North American market for it at the time. So yeah, they had to make it, you know, it took a while to sort of make that market. Well, it, it really, I mean, it was probably like what mid '90s before, or even late '90s before it really took off. Late '90s was the biggest boom. Mid '90s is essentially where it started. I mean, like, you know, most of us who are older knew about um, sort of manga or even uh, anime because of the early VHS releases. Yeah, that, like the Akira, the Akira Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, and certain other ones that sort of came over. Uh, and Scroll. then. Whatever, for scroll. whatever for whatever reason, it's funny because in in Japan, like you you say Ninja Scroll, and they're like, no one gives what, a shit about Ninja yeah, scroll. like what? Why do you even? Why do you guys care about this like weird, gross '80s cartoon that nobody cares right. about? It's just it's purely it's so huge thing. here. Yeah, it's. But the, yeah, it was late '90s when all that hit, and essentially like early 2000s uh, when um, North American comics publishing, like with the big two and whatnot, were really taking a dive. It was like a real yeah. dark period in the early 2000s. There's like, there's lots of cool stuff that came out, but you know. Yeah, the, business wise, I mean, they still haven't recovered. Like, I feel like the 90s boom was kind of the peak that, like, that's right. Everyone's kind of trying to chase, but like, yeah, nobody yeah. has really figured out how to get to those kind of numbers again. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the best way to put it is like with the number one selling Western comic book is uh, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont's X-Men number one, which is a million copies for the first issue. But that of course includes like variant covers yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and the next one is like 6 million and then 2 million, 6 million for like uh, X-Force, I think it was, uh, and 2 million for Tom McFarlane Spider-Man. And, you know, most comics that had good readerships were Easily north of 100,000 copies, yeah. 150,000, something like that, and, and even more. Nowadays, it, it, oh my God, like you are absolute top 1% if you're breaking 100,000 copies with a big, with a big tier comic. And you'll see the, you'll see even like mainstream comics, like um, it can be like a DC, DC character who's not, you know, a bat character. And yeah. 
they're pulling in maybe 20,000 copies a month. It's crazy. Yeah. And mean, and meanwhile, you know, you could just check out like any rando uh, mangaka's output and just seeing the sheer number on them. And you're like, well, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we I mean, all, we would all kill to just have those numbers. Yeah. Well, and then you can, all, you also see like, I mean, if when you say, see the sales figures of like Demon Slayer, mm-hmm. like essentially one comic book is equivalent of the entirety of North American comic books. And it's, it's so true, which is bonkers. I mean, it's, it's, it's great and it's huge, but still like it's one book, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. It's always funny because uh, my wife's from Hong Kong and she read uh, a manga growing up as well. That was translated into Chinese. And then, so we sort of connected with a love of comics in college and we had these discussions about like what the like all this where's all this good stuff go like what why is it just the exact same comic over and over again for the last 30 years you know in north america and meanwhile you can like i i I get a lot of my manga from um the library here the toronto public library Mm -hmm. and like i get a haul of like nine books every week and a half you know i'll read like four series at a time because they have everything and i'm always like i wonder I wonder if so-and-so, like this author I like, ever made a book about X? And the answer was always like, oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to find something to read. It's great. Yeah, I mean, I mean, granted, even in Japan, like the, the best-selling comics are kind of essentially the same thing. You know, it's like right. Shonen Jump. like Shonen fight, Adventure yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, fight the next, you know, fight the next monster, tournament, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> right. Is ultimately what uh is the always at any given time it's the highest seller but uh yeah i mean the whole i mean the fact that they have a whole publishing wings for women's comic books or girls comic books i think is one thing that's completely missing in north america i'm not saying that women don't read comic books but like i feel like just the the sheer volume of of output is just missing you know like when you compare it to compared to japan yeah Oh, yeah. We could absolutely make this entire podcast about why Japanese comics publishing is better than anywhere else. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, yeah. that's an easy topic to go over. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, um, let's, uh, let's kind of bring it back to, uh, to video games. So what do you get out of reading comic books and producing comic books that you don't get out of game development? For reading, what I get is a sense of storytelling and writing... Um, in a medium that works differently, but surprisingly similar to games. People often don't think about games and comics as sort of being similar, but they are two inherently interactive mediums. Uh, I say comics are interactive because when you're drawing and writing comics, you are planning things like page turns and uh, spreads and, and page counts to sort of create pacing and all that kind of stuff. But because reading, uh, Although it's called a passive medium, it's it's not really because the way you have to interpret, you know, panels, page layouts, all that stuff is is part of the conversation between a creator and the reader. So, you know, there is language within comics and manga and all that stuff so that a reader understands that a panel of a certain size might mean a different amount of time than a panel of a different size or, or, or the, all the little tricks about um, tipping you off in terms of pacing and tone and whatnot. Uh, things that are sort of unsaid but are represented through design and art. And all that can be translated into games because it's really uh, obvious when you play a game that has, even if it has sort of strong writing, uh, actual dialogue or, or, or lore or whatnot, but no sense of pacing. It's like somebody who can't typeset 
uh, 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 text in a book, doesn't know how typography works and doesn't know how to create sort of a visual tone with, you know, words. So there's a lot that I take from that. So when we work on our games, you know, our games are often text heavy where they have these deep stories that are running and multiple characters talking and pacing where, you know, something happens in a scene and then it goes to it. Uh, exposition, then it goes back to an action moment and whatnot. You're going back and forth. I can use comics to sort of plan all of that. And essentially using comics uh, to even just storyboard everything I want to do in terms of like a, a non-interactive moment in a, in a game or uh, even um, something as simple as like a title screen. You can use comic language for a lot of that stuff. Okay, let's flip it over. How do you think... Um, um, I feel like you answered the, my, my second question more than <laughs> my first question. Which is like, how does comic book relate to? Uh... Sure, sure, sure. I that's always how I tend to tend to talk about these things. I mean, the, I can. I guess I can my question was like, what do you get out of comics that you're you're just not getting out of com- uh, right. video games? Like that, what right. allows you to kind of like? I sure. Don't know, what what is what itch is it scratching that uh, video games don't? Sure. Well, the big, biggest thing about creating comics is that um, you know you. You can create anything you want with a piece of paper and a pencil, like anything you can imagine. There's no technology required, theoretically, to do anything. Um, so the freedom to be able to craft whatever you want and explore ideas and explore character and setting and tone, all that stuff is just magical to me. I love watching videos of like my favorite mangaka go over some like wild idea they have because the idea that you are absolutely constructing something that is going to be, you know, live through all of human history in the imaginations of readers out of nothing, but like a bit of graphite and some like paper you pulled out of a printer tray. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's just so cool to me. Uh, and as games get more and more sort of sophisticated, uh, it is, I would say harder to sort of come at them with such a naive point and to, to yeah. create quite as freely, uh, especially if you want to work with other people or sort of have things that are a little bit more um, uh, high spec. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, just from the fact that, like, if you want a large, like, uh, if you want a bunch of crowds, you can just draw it if it's a comic book, like, right. in video games, you know, you tell, you tell your programmer, yeah, we want to have a thousand people in this scene, like, right. Well, yeah, I mean, the, depending you, on the engine, they'll, they'll have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and the thing, uh, the thing I noticed is that there's much less homogenization in comics. Uh, I mean, superhero comics, I think there is quite a bit, but uh in terms of sort of style and how things are represented because you're not you know you're not there's no comics engine there is software that people use to help uh with production and things like that but you don't have to use it photoshop yeah well and it's it's like photoshop like photoshop doesn't make you draw in a certain way you know right and i find that when you look at games you know you can look at a game and be like that's an unreal game that's a unity game that's a game maker game you know and because you can tell with certain limitations or qualities or whatnot um but I love like looking at different comic artists work, you know, and reading their work for years and not realizing, oh, they did that all digitally. Like I thought they were absolutely using a traditional, you know, traditional inking methods or whatnot or, or vice versa. Yeah, but new, the new software that uh, that's out there, like looks more and more like a, I think they've done really interesting things to make it look more and more like ink and ink and paper. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, s- but- I see, I see the, the guys in this, in the studio drawing and um, i I'm I'm always surprised to find out what exact because some of the some of their stuff they do physically, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that they do digitally, and it's not necessarily what I expect it to be. 
Yeah. The comics I work on now, I do all purely, uh, I lay them out with pencil. Like I draw, do all my roughs and pencil, my pages, but I ink digitally using Procreate on my iPad. Um, yeah, that, that's what they all use. They'll, they'll and use it's, Procreate, yeah. And it's, it's just so like much the, faster. The workflow is incredible, but it's also, when the book comes out, I'm just, it looks a thousand times better than me, <laughs> you know, messing around with a bunch of other stuff, but it still feels exactly like what I w- was intending it to, to mm-hmm. look like. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I guess it's uh, I guess it's time to wrap up. So the last question is, what is something you want people to know about comic books or manga or? I yeah. want them to know that if you think there is not a topic about a comic book you're looking to read, if you're interested in something and you're like, no, there's absolutely no way someone made a comic book about that. <laughs> Just pretty sure, pretty sure there's a golden rule that says, yes, somebody has, and you should definitely check it out. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. It's crazy. Um, Japan, there's so much. I think people underestimate how much Japanese comic books are produced every year. <laughs> I know. Yeah, the number of pages and the, and whatnot. I have a friend who got into manga a couple of years ago, and he would just challenge himself to be like, I really like baking manga, or I, I want to read a baking story. And then he was like, well, I'll be here for years going through yeah, all no, these. That's, that's, that's like, yeah, those, that's like low-hanging fruit right there. Right. I mean, and then you, you, you got to go more, much more obscure if you want to. <laughs> the more esoteric you go, you're like, yep, no, there's a, there's definitely at least a ten books I can read on this. Yeah, yeah. An, uh, an anime I really liked that's based off a comic book. It's called The Great Passage, and it's. Uh, I know of it, but I've never. Oh, I've it's never it's it. it's excellent. I I really recommend it, but it's about making a dictionary. <laughs> cool that's that's it like that's that's the story like it's this one department on this publisher and it's the dictionary making department and they you know and they want to make this like you know a new type of dictionary and that's it (laughs) i see but that's like a genre of one you're guaranteed readers yeah that's so great yeah, it's and uh, what what other weird comic books are there? Yeah, and if you start talking about one shots, there's there's some really different stuff out there too. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> well, thank you very much, and this this was a this was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm glad uh, I got I get got a chance to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. Yeah, thanks Perhaps, for having me. Uh, I appreciate it. Perhaps we'll run into each other when uh, when people go to places again. Toronto's <laughs> <laughs> not too far. <laughs> That's right. Take care. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye.